What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following may contain offensive language, adult humor, and or content that some viewers may find offensive. The views and opinions expressed by any one speaker does not explicitly or necessarily reflect or represent those of Mark Rattledge or W2M Network. Please listen with caution, or don't listen at all. Good evening. You are listening to a Rattledge and Broadcasting Premier Podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And we are continuing our journey from the corner to the deuce, examining the great works of David Simon. And joining me today, he's harder to get at than my fat wife's cunt, Ladies and gentlemen, it's Juicy J, Jesse Starcher. How do you do, sir? Decided to go with it, didn't you? <laughs> just, call me, just call me Fat Face Rick. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right, for anyone Rattles. that's just like, what the fuck? No, yeah. I'm not referring to anyone I actually know. That's a line from season three of The Wire. Fat Face Rick says that to Stringer Bell, which we oh. talked about last month. Fat Face Rick. Fat face my Rick goodness. house. Wow, wow. I don't know Mark why Rattledge. that line stuck out at me the way that it did. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I st- it still makes me laugh every time I I was talking to uh, I was talking to my girlfriend today and I was like she watched me giddily talk about the wire cuz I told her we were doing this tonight and I actually told her I was going to open up with that line and she was and I said I was debating it because of the same reason I told you. It's like Jesus Christ if you hear that out of context you're like wait, what? <laughs> um <laughs> she's like yeah, I don't think you can get away with that. Yeah. You can't tell me what to do. Uh, but it's true. She, she got to hear me just blurt out a whole bunch of different wire quotes. This, this one, uh, this particular season that we're going to talk about tonight, season four, how's she chicken, Joe? Mm. Those exchanges between Omar and Prop Joe at the end of the season are fucking hilarious. It's good <laughs> stuff. It really is good stuff, man. Yeah. Omar's got some classics. He has always got, he's always got, Prop Joe and Omar both, when you listen to how they talk, they sound mm-hmm. like 
prophets almost in some yeah. some some ways. <laughs> um, it's fun to listen to, especially those two on the same screen. I mean, my goodness. There was I remember watching like one of the documentary featurettes about the making of the wire and how there's almost like a pigeon um pig latin it's not quite southern not quite northern it's so apparently the baltimore slang and the baltimore um uh accent it, it's a very weird thing it's it's almost like a like a creole but not quite but even mm -hmm. in the sense that like creole is this amalgamation of different languages and whatnot you know if you like you hear like you hear some of these guys the way that they talk and the way the some of the ways that they say things and it's unlike anything you've ever heard before it's almost a foreign language oh yeah 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 i mean <clears throat> i think we pointed out when we were list, uh watching homicide they uh mm -hmm. it was the first time i ever heard baltimore as balmer right um uh, i mean yeah they've got their own their own language you're right it's it's right. their own code for uh that they've lived in the city uh mm -hmm. And their own dialect, if you I will. Have I have mean... copped so much of my like slang speech patterns from The Wire. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I have told people I don't get shook. Ah, uh, nice. <laughs> Which nice. I stole directly from Michael in this season. Uh, I don't get shook. Uh, I've used the term, doesn't he have a rabbi? Stole that, <laughs> stole that from season two. <laughs> so so much of the wire has it infiltrated me like that i can tell you i don't think i've used too much from what I, i've been entertained but i mm -hmm. haven't grasped on of course i haven't watched it as much as you have uh but regardless it is very entertaining to watch this uh yeah this small part of america and mm -hmm. how these people talk to each other you know so we've done the first three seasons and i think when we when you stopped because we decided we were going to do all of the David Simon shows from Homicide to, uh, I think the last one was The Deuce. Um, let's go back and look again. No, it was definitely, Show Me a Hero was definitely before The Deuce. And I feel like that was the last one before we owned this city, which we already covered. Um, when, we, <clears throat> when we decided we were going to do all of the David Simon shows season by season over, the, over a two-year period, you stopped watching The Wire. This is about where you stopped, yeah? Yeah, yeah, dude. I had, yeah, I think it was episode nine. I want to say oh, wow, you were almost nine. done. Yeah, I was really close to being done. So and I sent you a picture where it was like four days after COVID had really like the lockdown happened. Okay. Uh, so I stopped right at nine. And I don't know if it was the matter of just like, finding other things to watch at that point in time or what but mm -hmm. so it was like march 19th of 2020 something something around there so that was episode nine and then i hadn't watched anything since then of course mm -hmm. during you know during this project got me to re-watching and watching again with my wife uh so yeah just a couple days ago we picked up finally into some new episodes that i hadn't seen right so give me your just kind of general, we'll, we'll, as we've done with the previous three seasons, we'll get into some of the more picking you details. We have to, this season focuses on education. Right. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the first two seasons were very singularly thematically focused. Three's, three's got some thematic focus, but it's a little all over the place. There's a lot of stuff that's being introduced and it's 
the second best season overall of the wire but it's also probably the most unwieldy um in terms of like trying to describe it to people there's just so much going on in season there four. is there really is season four goes back to in in at least the thematic sense being hyper focused it is almost exclusively about the education system in the in the city of baltimore and then you know i mean outside of that there's some stuff with with Carcati and city hall and some of the inner workings of that but for the most part it's mostly centered on the education system and the, the four new junior high uh junior high actors the um and then but i but uh sorry you, you, you know you, you call and you text people when you actually got shit done and then they want to talk to you when you're recording. <laughs> you don't want a podcast let's talk <laughs> yeah that's kind of, kind of when i didn't pick up the phone call that should have been a clue um anyway so but i i wanted to get so i wanted to get your kind of general thoughts about season four and then i have a very specific question for you sure okay yeah i i mean again like you said it's a focus on the struggles of the education mm -hmm. system with the inner city youth and mm -hmm. i have never ever not one bit wanted to be a teacher after watching this show <laughs> no yeah no I, way I, I mean i know that your wife teaches and has had situation i mean i don't know if it was like this or not but something mm -hmm. at least close to it uh you've mentioned that before on previous podcasts and i mean yeah, she's, worked title, she's worked in title nine and while she works in a school now that's in one of the high-end parts of tampa it it has because of the way things are drawn also because of school choice also because we have a high immigrant population because there's a local university nearby that attracts a lot of foreigners it's a wide mix and she definitely deals with a lot of the socialization issues this season speaks to in the students. Right. Right. And what you and see she, in this, she, hang on, she's had to make some DC, DCF phone calls. Like really? there, there have absolutely been kids that have been Baker acted out of that school. Oh yeah. There's a lot of mental health issues. Kids oh. have had to have been in Florida. It's called the Baker act. It's a forcible uh, inpatient hospitalization for children. You know, I mean, the Baker Act exists for everybody, but in this particular case, they've had to have kids Baker Acted out of the school and Man. brought to a community mental health center. Um, we've got single parent homes, you've got drugs, you've got all kinds, you know, she's absolutely called me at work. But can you tell me if this kid's parent is in, is in jail? <laughs> and I, I, as long as I'm not going through their medical record, I'm not breaking any rules because we have a right. I mean, she could have easily done this herself. There's right. a public there's a public website that tells you who's in jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it, what we see in this season, though, is, yeah, we get to see the struggles, but we also get to see somebody, mainly Bunny Colvin, trying to take an action in order to change the yes. situation, much like he did in the previous season by mm -hmm. uh, Hamsterdam. But this here is him at least trying to work within the system to better these kids and what right. you start to realize is that you know our the way the system is set up is not meant to make these kids succeed it's make it's to make the system succeed yes it's to make the school succeed and that's what's sad but I go think ahead. thematic well, i think thematically that's that's just the wire though you right know, if you look at right 
if you, I don't want to get too far ahead, but if you look at a lot of the stuff with Carcetti, um, so this season he becomes, he wins the primary, and then it's just assumed he's going to be, he's going to be the mayor. Mayor he, elect. Yeah. Yeah. He's mayor elect. So by the end of the season, he is, <clears throat> he is firmly in the mayor's seat and he is doing mayor things. And the cliffhanger is he's got a $54 million deficit from the schools yeah. that nobody wants to claim that he has to deal with. If he's promised the sun, the moon, and the stars to the police and public works and all kinds of stuff. So uh, that's where we're going to pick up season five next month. But in the meantime, um, one of the things that occurs, the, the, the school budget deficit thing is a really great like microcosm of what you're talking about in the sense of, systems are designed for the system to succeed the people in the system can fuck off right you know <laughs> but it is definitely designed to keep the system running the way that you know the way that it's going and so you have the situation with this 54 million dollar deficit and they're basically and he's told go to the governor beg and you beg for, beg for the money but if you do that you're going to look like shit two years from now when you try to run for governor yeah yeah and you're ultimately yeah, and ultimately he fucks the kids and the whole city to protect his political career. Right, right. Yeah, nobody, it's nobody just does the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You know, right. it's the governor that he's going to is going to make him suffer and pay for it because he sees him coming. So this is an advantage to take it out of his ass instead of just giving him the money because we don't want your city schools to fail. You know, things like right. that. Teach them the test. Teach yeah. them the test. It's like, why? They're not learning anything. You're just teaching them the test itself, how to pass the test. Mm -hmm. I, I remember when I was watching this the first round and, and going, how can these people feel like they are doing anything? And that's pretty much what Presbo and Presbolewski, I'm calling him Presbo. Um, Presbolewski. You know, <laughs> that's pretty much what Pres Mr. Presbolewski ends up uh understanding is that you know he isn't doing anything in order to make these kids learn something that's useful and it's and you know there's very there's a great moment where he starts to realize what can i do to make them learn and that is to use what he wants to teach them and apply it to their world right uh they so, start dice and, and through dice he's able to teach them probability right right but yeah man you, you just as much as this show is about drugs, take a shot every time someone mentions a number. <laughs> That's when you're going to be in the hospital because there, it is everything is numbers driven in this city. Oh my god! Stats. There's my, a scene where Carcetti's addressing the West Side uh, roll call, and even like one of like the old like like narcotics detectives, it's just like it's the fucking numbers game, man. Yeah. You know? Right, dude. Right. Um, there's there's a whole conversation that takes place between Presbolewski and uh, Cuddy's ex girlfriend, who's who's a teacher. Where you know, and she's you know, she's now switched from whatever county school she was at in season three. She's come over to the school. You know, so they basically just wanted to keep this character around, so yeah. they moved her into the same city school that Pre that Presbolewski's teaching in. <clears throat> it's kind of like a mentor character to him, and um, he's she's explaining things to him, and he goes. Oh, you're juking the stats. Juking the stats, she's like, baby. She's like what? She's like, <laughs> he's like, we have a we have this you know way of turning rapes, making rapes go away, turning burglaries into this, and you know everything getting reduced. So it's not a real reflection of the crime rate. It is 
massaged to make it yeah. look better than it really is. Yeah. Um, my question to you, though, was <clears throat> did you enjoy this season? And look, I, I'll be the first to tell you all five seasons of The Wire are some of the best television you're going to see out there. Take a drink every time I've said that. You will be blackout drunk. However, <clears throat> I would argue season four of The Wire is the worst of the five seasons. Okay. All right. Let me ask you, uh, you know, so how do you feel about that? Like comparing it to the first three, since I haven't watched mm -hmm. five yet. We started five last night, by the way. But mm -hmm. the, comparing it to the first three. I can't wait to talk about five. <laughs> uh so i mean i could see that i really could because i did enjoy hamsterdam a lot yeah um and i think the one thing that this season does for me is it makes I, lester freeman's up here for me bunny colvin actually eclipses him a little bit here mm -hmm. for me in this season but regardless when you're looking at the other three seasons the whole stringer mm -hmm. bell versus mcnulty thing is going on season two is the you know we're down at the docks and mm -hmm. the greeks we got that stuff that's going on i was interested in that so i could see this as being probably of the four the weakest of the four that i've seen i'm gonna make my argument by asking you a very simple question what was the major case in season four? Because season one, it's the it's the Avon Barksdale organization. Season two, it's the Greeks, Frank, and the Docks, you know, right. and the Union. Um, season three, it's the Marlowe Stanfield Avon Barksdale War. What was season four about? What is the major case that they're that they're investigating? There, I don't know if there is there isn't one. one. <laughs> no, in the, in the first episode, uh, Lex and Bodie are having a conversation about how fruits banging lex's girlfriend or some shit yep and lex is fucked up about it and so lex decides he's going to handle it by shooting fruit in the head goodbye yeah. fruit you so you survive cuddy just to get killed by lex yeah <clears throat> and so chris and snoop um get lex and they kill him and they put him in the vacants and like if the only the only right answer to the question I asked is technically it's where is Marlo hiding the bodies? Yeah. Which starts off hot and heavy after Lex goes missing because Bunk catches the fruit murder and it's said to be Lex. He knows that much. So they're trying to find Lex. He's the murderer. But it's said that Lex was killed and put in the vacants. Well, killed. They don't know where the body is. Um, the police don't. And it's going to take all fucking season four for them to figure out where the bodies are. Yeah. <laughs> Way too long. Um, but, you know, he can't close out the fruit murder murder until they find Lex's body. And so the first couple of episodes, it's him. And once once they do away with the major crimes unit, um, which is a whole other story, Lex and I'm sorry, uh, Lester and Bunk are off looking for Lex's body and they can't seem to figure out where. And, and while well, and the question is being asked. How does Marlowe take over almost the entire West Side and not drop a body? Not Why are no bodies anybody? Yeah. Right. Why is the murder rate somehow not reflecting the change in what drug dealer has what corner? Right. It's a mystery. This is not how this is not how this works. So that is the major case in season four. <clears throat> and it's basically them kind of putzing around for two or three episodes, and then Lester goes back to homicide and they just leave it alone. Then Bunk gets tied up with Omar. It's Omar robbed a cart. It's so convoluted. Not not convoluted. It's just so like interweaving. So right. 
Marlo doesn't want to join the co-op. He has managed to eliminate his biggest competitor. He doesn't fuck with the east side. He's got the west side by the balls. And no, and as he says, no one fucks with him. So why join the co-op? And Prop Joe's like, you ignorant motherfucker. <laughs> like, <laughs> if we all join together and we all cooperate and we don't beef over corners, the cops mostly leave us alone and we all share in the profits of the best heroin Europe can sell us. Right. And Marlo's dumbass goes, that's okay. So Prop Joe is now in the business of trying to convince him through experience that it's better to be in the co-op because one of the benefits other than the good package is knowledge there's people who know people and they'll get you insider information who's investigating you what's going on here things like that and the way prop joe manipulates it is he sets omar on marlo's card game yeah yep and he was like i could have i could have warned you (laughs) if you would have just listened you i i knew (laughs) this is my prop joe impression Uh, that's good (laughs) I, That's good. I could have told you. <laughs> but alas, <laughs> I don't know why Joe was fanning. You need one of the, you need to bring the glasses way down here. <laughs> and then yeah, I, I could that, have told you told you were going to get robbed of the card game, but you're not part of the co-op. <laughs> that he set Omar on. Right, dude. Yeah, he's he is a sneaky a sneaky guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I can tell you that... Uh, one thing that this season did for me was made me absolutely hate, hate. Uh, oh my goodness, I lost his. I lost his name. It's not Omar. My gosh. Um, Walls here. Uh, say it again. Wait. Oh, uh, Chris, Snoop, Omar, Marlo. Marlo. Thank you. My okay. goodness. Why? Why in the world his name? Well, he has the, the personality of fucking drywall. He look. I, I mean. And I think that's what makes me hate this guy mm-hmm. is because he shows absolutely no emotion. Of course, that's yeah. what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to yeah, be yeah. stone cold. I could I'll kill anybody that gets in my way for or kill anybody I think is a snitch. Uh, you know, they the damn motherfuckers just to do them. Right. dude. It's, it's, I edited that line for television, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's uh, Bodie's thing. It's Bodie. just like it's one thing to commit, you know, because. Hoot comes home and they're having a debate over whether or not uh, little Kevin should have been killed. And he's like, he didn't do anything. There was no reason to kill him. And Bodie feels 
responsible for that because he's the mm-hmm. one that said, Hey, go, go get in front of this, go talk to him. Right. You know, there's, there's a, there's something good about going and talking to somebody ahead of time to let them right. know, Hey, this is what's happening. He'll look at you with some respect and give you some, right. You know, give you some leeway. And instead they just fucking kill him. Right. <laughs> get in the car. Well, oh, geez. I, I, let me go back a second. Well, I, the, the point that I was going through all that was, so now, um, Marlo is set upon Omar. So the way that they, you know, the way that they do it is they rob Andre and they, they shoot a, the, um, the convenience store clerk, the person who's stocking the shelves, they shoot her. Oh, right. And then they slap Andre upside the face with a gun and they say, say old Omar. face Andre, old face Andre. And they said, say, you know, <laughs> say Omar. Sorry. Omar. I just, I can't. I'm just fuck it. I'm just going to apologize in advance for anyone listening to this. It's just like, ooh, I wish you wouldn't. I'm just going to quote the show straight. I can't keep changing it. But there's so many good lines. It's not my fault they wrote it this way. It's kind of like the Tarantino movie. He's, when he's try, when old face Andre is trying to plead his case to Marlo, and he's like, he's like, it's like a terrorist out there. And Marlo's just about had enough of old face Andre. It's about the only time he gets even like remotely emotional. Which is not, to, which is to say, almost not at all. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, like you, it's like you ain't CNN, and you're just a nigga who got your shit took. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, Marlo. I mean, no, again, there's so Marlo. many good lines. He's just a nigga who got his shit took. Oh, <laughs> I have no fucking patience for you. Get out. <laughs> um. Yeah, it took us ring right off of him. Well, it's a mm-hmm. nice ring. Yeah, it was. Which floats around this up the season. Yes, it does. Um. So yeah, and so Omar ends up Omar ends up in jail and he reaches out to Bunk. And so Bunk's story shifts from the bodies and the vacants that they're looking for to helping out Omar and then goes back to the vacants later right. on. Right. My point with all of this is we're 20 minutes in, and all I wanted to hear if you say was this is the worst season of the wire by far. <laughs> There's no <laughs> because searching for the bodies and the vacants is not a particularly strong story, especially right. when they abandon it for a good six Yeah, well, I mean, major crimes gets dissolved for well, most it of the dissolved. It it become it, it it they replace everybody with Marimo as a okay. lieutenant who you know who's a fucking Herc. And then Herc who's useless. Herc is an idiot. He really God. is. Like this is this might be like the least sympathetic Herc looks in the entire uh, five season run. Oh yeah, everything goes wrong for him, man. Well, he's and he makes because he makes some stupid, stupid decisions. Well, he has a great line with with Carver. Carver, who is awesome this season, like yeah, he's, he's really learned his lessons from season three about talking to people, being part of the community, you know. And he gets a soft heart. And boy, we haven't even gotten to the stars of this thing yet. We really should talk about them, but. Um, you know, Carver is so much different this season than he's been the past three seasons. But then here comes Herc, you know, to drag him back down into the gutter. And, and Carver goes, this is one of those enabling relationships. And Herc, ever the sociopath, enable me, Carver. Enable me. Enable <laughs> me to find my fucking camera. <laughs> yeah, he's right, an idiot. Let's talk about the kids. Kids are the star of this thing. This is the other reason right. why it's the worst season ever. Um <laughs> <laughs> Just the the focus on the vacants is not to me strong enough to warrant me, you know, to warrant me saying it's better than seasons one, two, or three, or five for that matter. Um, though, <clears throat> and I don't want to get into five, but Robert and I briefly talked about this during the Black Panther review about how he thinks five is the worst season because of what happens. But I'm like, no, five at least had five at least had a perspective. Five at least had a point. <laughs> they, were, they were investigating Marlowe. 
They were still yeah. they were still trying to bring down the Marlowe's Mansfield crew for killing twenty some odd people and putting them in the vacants. This yeah. there is you know it's just all over the place, but because and the reason why. So there's a lot of things happening in season four that make it the standout season amongst the five, but for all the wrong reasons. One, McNulty, minimized. Barely in this yeah, season. A lot of people feel the same way. I mean, I didn't miss him that much. I mean, I honestly didn't. I think the story was strong enough to stand on its own without McNulty. Well, you they, know, with him just kind of appearing on the periphery. Go ahead. Essentially minimized McNulty in the major crimes unit. So they could focus on <clears throat> the kids in the education system, which here's the thing I've been in. I don't know if you felt differently because you're a business graduate. Um, you have a business degree and you've been working in unemployment for the vast majority of your career. So I don't know if you think about this the same way that I do, but I've been a social worker since the year of our Lord, 2000, <laughs> so 22 years. Mm-hmm. In that time, I have a graduate degree, my license, everything else. I've worked with kids. I've worked with families. I've worked in the uh, correctional system with, uh, you know, with drug addicts and whatnot. And I've all, it, the problem with this was in what year was this? Uh, this was 2006. 2006. So I've been in the social service field for six years. I, I, I all, and I was a teacher before that. I was a teacher in, 1999 in the Los Angeles public school system. In fact, I taught in the junior high that fed into the high school that Stan and Delivered was said to have taken place. Oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah, I heard some stories about that teacher, by the way. In any case, (laughs) like, I already fucking knew all this. I I knew kids in inner cities had shit situations. I knew there was mental health problems. Like, this, the thing about seasons one, two, and three is there's talking about stuff that is interesting to me that I would want to watch a television show about and that I may not have already known season four is like let's tell you how bad the education is i fucking know already i know i have worked with these children okay duquan michael naaman and randy who are the stars of season four and then to a lesser degree my favorite character in this entire season canard um (laughs) they kick my door in david that's how they do you're this big this is how big canard is oh my gosh he Um, gets beat Oh, yeah, Michael whoops his ass. Um, so a lot of this season is just, like, following those kids around, watching them in school. And they separate Naaman out, and they put him in the special class with the rest of the sweat hogs, it, following that. Um, and then they're in the street. They're fucking with this one evil cop, Walker. Uh, you see their home lives. There's a lot about Michael and then his, you know, and his brother's father who comes home who clearly molested Michael at one mm. point. Randy and his foster mother. Um, you don't get to see much of Duquan's home life, but Duquan's home life is essentially he lives with hardcore drug addicts. It's not, yeah, it's not good. Right. And then, you know, you spend some time with Donut. You spend some time with Canard. You spend some time with Sherrod. Can I tell you every Sherrod bubble scene I just fast forward through? Oh. I have so the least amount of interest in the entire bubble story with the other homeless drug addicts. Poor Bubs. I mean, it's sad what happens, just for for the record. He, you know, he makes a hot shot to kill this guy that's been bullying him and Kinar- and um, Sherrod smokes it yeah, and kills himself. Up, kills him. Yeah. Right. And so uh, Bubs turns himself into the homicide unit and tries to hang himself in the interrogation room and ends up at the end in a psychiatric facility, which that generally makes me sad. When, um, when uh, what's his face? Uh, I can't remember the character's name, but he's played by a musician, Tom Waits. 
uh goes to see him at the very end oh Bubs, yeah that's br- that was tough man and yeah, Bubs kept, falls the fuck to pieces and that's uh, that's brutal yeah he's just staring off and then as soon as he sees somebody that he recognizes mm-hmm. he's just so filled with shame and and he just breaks down right man so i'm gonna let you go ahead and jump in on this but as much the act the individual actors give extremely good performances their stories are very sad, and it's just like the wire to reward the least worthy child with the best life. <laughs> Naaman Bryce is, is Weebay's son. Weebay we took all them murders for sandwich. For potato sandwich. Of, what was it? For fucking pita sandwich and some potato chips. Speaking of not pronouncing words correctly. Um, <laughs> pita sandwich, some potato chips. I'll go a few more. That's not even English. Um, but... <laughs> Little Weebay. So yeah, Naaman Bryce is Weebay's son, and because the Avon Barksdale organization has pretty much dried up and all the money with it, yeah, it's all uh, has, he, Naaman has to go out in the streets and start selling drugs because that's what his mother expects him to do because she's the worst. And um, boy, is she! And by the end of the season, he realizes, hey, I don't want to be a drug dealer anymore. Hey, I don't want to be a criminal. Hey, I'm not hard. You know, I, I I bully the one kid that I can bully because I'm too afraid to actually, you know. I, I have a big mouth and no bite. And right. and because throughout all of that, he's developed this relationship with um, Bunny. Bunny ends up adopting him. Right. The Not Michael, who was molested. Not Randy, who, to get out of a possible assisted rape charge, you know, confesses to being a part of a murder. Um, Almost he, adopted by another cop. Another cop tried to adopt he tried, him. Yeah, Car- he tried, yeah. Carver tried to. Um, but no, ends up in a getting beat to shit in a foster in a group home. He got that snitch did, put on him. He yeah, he got the mm-hmm. the the word and, snitch is attached and to him. And who was the mo- who was the most needing of all, the most worthy of all to have been taken care of by any one of the functional adults on this show, ends up living with Michael. Because right. At least Michael a, treats him right, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that's that's the good thing. It's kind of like a big brother to him, and it's it's just such a wire yeah. thing, like. Of these four children, who should win the grand prize and be adopted by Bunny Colvin? How about the asshole, the worst, the worst child, the kid that, ch- uh, the kid that changed the most? I don't know. I, I, I mean, look, a lot of this season is chartering the journey of these kids who, right? You know, our first so episode. If, hang on, if you don't buy, if you're not, if you don't have buy-in with the kid stories. If this is a chore to get through. That's my whole Yes, point. right, right. Yeah, I mean, you're watching these kids go from a real tight-knit group of mm-hmm. friends, and by the end of this, you know, Carver's walking past where these kids used to hang, and whatever the name of their, you know, their little group was, it was spray-painted on the wall, it's but it's not Mafia. there anymore. It, yeah. What was it? I Something it was like, Mafia? It was like Fayette Street Mafia or some shit. Right, right. But... By the by, the time this just one, you know, one year of school is over, mm-hmm. everything has changed for these kids, and I think that's probably what they're trying to detail here in this season is that, you know, these kids they grow up, they have friends, and because of the way the streets are, in a single year, everything can change. Bodie, everything. Be, right before Bodie is killed for talking to McNulty, he talks about that he's been in the street since he was thirteen. Yeah. 
I think he's like 15 or 16 in season one. So by the time we get to season four, he's probably around 20 years old. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the one time, the one or two times he gets popped between seasons one and three, he talks about going to like, you know, baby booking in juvenile hall or whatever, you know, boys village. I think it's, I want to say it's either season one or season two where he escapes boys village and limps home. Yeah. He's just like, <laughs> he's grabbing a mop and then he's just walking out the door. Yep. Um, <laughs> but, I think just to kind of we want to talk about sort of the, the the problem with the we touched on it before what they're talking about with the education system is essentially the social family system in baltimore is broken car uh colvin bunny says uh something about the stoop kids and this corner kids stoop kids <coughs> stoop kids <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Stoop kids will more or less do what they're told. They'll do their work. They'll come to school. They aren't going to cause problems. Corner kids will make learning for the for the Stoop kids almost impossible. Right. Right. So the whole problem, the whole program that he gets proposed, uh, the whole thing that is, he meets a doctoral social worker, and they have this grant money to deal with, um socializing kids to try to get them off the path of destruction and it's funny because originally he's like we're talking 18 to 21 year olds and so they talked to one of them in the interrogation room <laughs> he's like wait a second we could go younger <laughs> after well, think, that guy basically is throws something at him and about grabs and shoves his pin up his ass what it, what is so funny is that is that throughout that questioning where they're just like let's say something happened to your sister what happened to my sister no let's say yeah. why are you talking about my sister Here's the thing. I've, I've experienced that level of dumb uh, every day. I can't tell you how many people I talk to that are that level of dumb, uh, you know, or like when Prez is, ta is talking to junior high kids, he's talking to eighth graders, and he's like, okay, we're going to distribute. What distribute mean? Give out. Why don't you just say give out? Um, I think when he's, he's, there was something about like being married and like one of the kids just can't get off of it. And it's like, why, why, why are you married? Like to have intimacy, right? Ooh, it's like, oh my god! <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, calm down, calm down now. Right, I and... absolutely experienced that level of dumb. Jeez, please. So I think as much as I enjoy the performances, and I and I am sympathetic towards the storylines, I just struggle with this season because between the the not having a central case that they're focused on. And not having a, th a theme that I'm particularly interested in at this point because it's too little, too close to home for me, more so than anything else in the wire. Uh, I don't love this season. Um, so we're a little more than halfway through now. What are some of your highlights and things that you wanted to talk about? All right. Well, hang on. Before you, know, you do, my favorite part of this is this is the season where Mar where Omar gets up, goes to get the honey nut Cheerios. There's none left. So he goes. So he puts on his silk robe, <laughs> his silk pajama, his bottoms, his silk robe, and he goes for a walkabout. And Gosh. as he's walking down the street, people are just yelling, "Omar's coming!" and throwing drugs at him. Yep. And he, he stands, kept... stands up against the wall to smoke a cigarette, and then all of a sudden, just this big garbage bag falls down right beside him, and he's like looking over, and he takes it home. And he's like, "I don't even want this. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want, want this. it." <laughs> Ronaldo's. He's got a new boy. Ronaldo's. Um, this is boy number three since season one. But uh, 
They run out of Honey Nut Cheerios? <laughs> As he's looking at the bag of drugs. Oh, my uh, And that's when Omar's like, I don't even want this. Yeah. And then he, he goes after Bigger Fish. Um, connected to that, when, when Bunk does the right thing and, you know, he realizes that if they let Omar hang for hitting Old Face Andre and killing the civilian, they're letting the true killer walk. The true killer ended up being Chris uh, of Chris and Snoop. And Bunk um, undoes that murder. Which is which is another great line in this. They hand him and I can't remember the detectives. Um, I can't remember the Vernon. I think is something like that. Um, the uh, the freckled detective, African American detective, where he you know he won't. The other guy won't do it. The other guy's an asshole. But he gets Vern to go to go back and interview Old Faith Andre. Old Faith Andre goes back on his story. They right. undo the murder. They submit their report to Landsman. Who's all about making black? He doesn't. Oh care, yeah. You know, does not yeah. really interested in the finer points of detective work. Just make red to black. That's all he cares about. That's so just that he is only interested in alchemy. <laughs> and, and and fucking Vern hands him the thing. He just kind of stands there with the cat. You know, like, like the uh, the cat with a mouse in his jowls. And Landsman just fucking silently looks up at him in disgust. And he looks and he looks at Bunk, who's kind of like hiding behind the door. What the fuck did you do? Right. right. And then he turns to Vernon. He was just like, how could you let him do this to you? Stand up for yourself. It's so yeah. good. That's a, that whole bit made me laugh, laugh my balls off. Yeah, the bodies, man. I mean, these, just like you said, they're they're trying to find these bodies. And it's cool to watch Lester Freeman do his detective stuff in order to kind of figure out where they're being held at. Once they find out, they start connecting the pieces and understanding that there's a nail gun involved, which I think that might be my favorite uh, favorite part of episode one is right there in the beginning when Snoop goes to buy the nail gun. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, she's sitting there looking over these nail guns and she's talking to, you know, a, a, I would say, you know, somebody, a, an assistant there at Home Depot. And we go through all these great, you know, he's trying to change. It's like, this is $800. Yeah. You earned that tip like a motherfucker. (laughs) That's great. I love Snoop. Snoop still has one of the best lines in the history of the wire. I'm going to do it. Jesse, I'm going to do it. Oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Can I do it? Go for it. Do I have your permission, daddy? Can I do it? Go for it. Let's hear it. And be more. We aim to hit a nigga yard. (laughs) Be more. (laughs) Be more. We aim to hit a nigga. Snoop, it's the Snoop, best. Snoop, Snoop. I gotta be serious for a second. Snoop, the look on Snoop's face when Chris beats Bug's dad to death. Yeah, like Snoop hardcore fucking murders people. Has no patience for anybody. Is even like kind of kind of chides Chris for being a little soft on Mike at times. Has never looked that much in like like horror. Like, wow. There. Yeah. When Chris. Yeah. Because she realizes that Chris is excising a demon. He clearly was also molested at some point in his life. And right. he is beating the ever-loving fuck out of Bug's dad. Over yeah. It. Right. Uh, had you had a chance, I'm sure you did, listen to the Wire podcast. Um, yes. The, the interaction yeah. I got from Method Man and... and... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Snoop, whoever played Snoop here, uh, on the podcast was like, this was not a seasoned actor that played Snoop. Is that right? Yeah, no, I think they pulled her from the street. Right. And she did a great job. I mean, to come off as she's very unique in this Mm -hmm. season. And that's what she could have been a horrible actor horrible actor could have done this well, character a lot of the Deacon character who we talked about last season where you know he was i think like a, an actual drug dealer at one point you know and yeah. he's so good he has a lot of great lines too he's like a good church man's always up in everyone's shit <laughs> <laughs> yes he is mm. anyway um i have now cut you off 20 times I'm oh that's right lester you. lester freeman uh finally figured out where the bodies were and you were talking yes. about the whole interaction with bunk mm-hmm. and the rest of the homicide unit and his superior, you know, mm-hmm. when uh, I think it's either the final episode when they start walking through and all these bodies are being pulled out, uh, they're being pulled out. And you look have, at the board, I have 23 in the office pool, <laughs> the board, the board only goes so far with these fucking names on it. It's just keeps going down. I was like, oh, fucking look on Landsman's face, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's a motherfucker. Lester um, Freeman is a vandal. He's yeah. vandalizing the board. <laughs> He's a Visigoth. <laughs> um, yeah, he and he has some great lines. Like everything, like some some of these people who have these bit parts mm-hmm. have some of the greatest like written lines for them. It, yeah. it makes you wonder, like, okay, well, this person's clearly, clearly in this character's history. Mm-hmm. They are well educated beyond their means and they're sitting yeah. here doing a job like this but um anyway so uh, i was thinking of some of my favorite moments uh one of the things i'm just going to throw this out here one of the things that hit me like one night four o'clock in the morning right yeah. after we watched an episode uh, the drug dealers always going around you know, they've got a code word or a name for the drug that they're selling right for the chair, day. Right chair. Got that WMD. Got the WMD. Mm-hmm. Got a pandemic. Pandemic. Got that pandemic. Got that pandemic. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking like, man. Like yard barkers. Why do they have some really like fucked up names for drugs? Like, <laughs> like shit you would not want to buy, but you. Uh, here's your COVID reason, age plague. Yeah, here's your fucking age plague. Fatal leprosy. Fatal leprosy right here. Come get your fatal leprosy. I got that that projectile leprosy right here. (laughs) I'm like, what fucking shit, man? Um, But yeah, that that hit me one night. Uh, Let's see here. Do you ever just do that? Do you ever just like walk through, you know, when you had to like go into the office, you ever just got to think to yourself, right there, right there. Got that pandemic. Got that pandemic. Pandemic. yeah, I talked. To, I talked about how Bunny Colvin probably made his way up the ladder for me as as far as hero goes on mm-hmm. the wire. Uh, last year was great. This year, I I mean, I understood what he wanted to do. This is a man who wanted to take uh, and make some type of a change in the school system, mm-hmm. even though he wasn't he wasn't really interested in it at first. We we first see him being he's a hotel security guard. Um, 
because he's no longer working for the police. But, you know, he gets involved with the academic who he finally gets to, he finally understands what this guy wants to do mm-hmm. and uh, and then gets involved in the school. And to watch him go to WeeBay, mm-hmm. you know, that takes, it takes some gumption, I guess is the best Let's word. Spot. Just go. Yeah. the word you're looking for. There you go. To go and talk to a convicted drug dealer, convicted murderer, 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 murderer and serving say, hey, multiple life sentences who took extra murders for a pita sandwich and some tater chips. <laughs> Your son, can he come mm-hmm. and live with a former cop? <laughs> I, <laughs> I would like to. Hi, you don't know me, but I taught your son for two months and I would right. now like to adopt him. That just shows you that <laughs> the level of understanding that Bunny Colvin mm-hmm. has, number one, for the people that were on the streets and their role. You know, mm-hmm. he was a cop. He was, you know, and uh, he was beating on drug dealers, I'm sure, uh, you know, and oh, growing up on those corners. I used, to beat on your, I used to beat on your boys, you know, when he's going through, he's going through like, you know, what Baltimore was like back when they were both young. Right. <clears throat> I was like, oh, I used to beat up on, I used to beat up on you and your boys on the corner, um, you know, when we, when we would sweep corners. And then he has that one line, like, what time did Tatum man come out to club? Right. And oh yeah, that... knows exa- none of the rest of the universe knows what the fuck he's talking about. But we knew. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck uh, is Tater Man? Um, fucking t- I, if I remember right, Kima on her first homicide or the first body she went to go see. Tater like, did hey, it. <laughs> <laughs> check the hand. Check the hand. He's got a little rolled up piece of paper in there. Mm-hmm. This Tater did it. In the other hand, Bunk's <laughs> like the other hand's got his phone number. <laughs> Uh, But anyway, yeah, Kima uh, in this season, you know, again, pretty limited role. She's uh, in homicide now. It's fun to watch her kind of try to get her legs under in a new position. Oh, Jesse. Oh, she makes up with Cheryl, your favorite character in the entire five-season run of The Wire. Uh, (laughs) You don't get to like uh, things that I don't like. You understand that? uh, (laughs) See, I don't... I No... I was kind of surprised. I mean, I, I guess I really shouldn't be because we kind of knew that stuff was on the rocks, but you yeah. were kind of hoping that these guys would work it out. They never did. No, They're I wasn't not. hoping either. I fucking hate Cheryl. Still do. <laughs> <laughs> All she's trying to do is take care of her kid and want somebody there to help her, at least be a little bit more involved. Clearly, Kima didn't want the kid and felt bullied. Clearly. Into it. Clearly. I mean, I don't know really what it's like to be bullied into a situation clearly. you don't actually want. However, blink, 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 blink. (laughs) (laughs) However, that sometimes happens in a relationship, you know, and maybe resentment's built. Built. I'm just on Kima's side, is all. Okay, all right. You know, I understand that you, you know, you're you're on Cheryl's side, and you, you know, you hate uh, reasonable reasonable people. Whatever, (laughs) man. Oh, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of anything else that was really important that happened, happened with Carcetti. I mean, clearly we get to watch him go through all the motions. Oh, he my God. The, learn... bowl of, the bowl of shit model. I was just about to say he has to learn how to eat shit. Yeah. And somebody actually has to tell him, get ready, because you're going to have to start to eat shit. Yeah. I love that monologue, by the way. Because, first of yeah. all, the, the old politician that he's talking to, like, the former mayor, mm-hmm. he's like, it's like my, my, my chief of staff brings in this beautiful silver bowl and I look and there's a pile of shit. What am I supposed to do with it? You're supposed to eat it. <laughs> then the next day, this is from the ministers. 
it's another bowl. Another bowl Continue of chips to eat, it. To eat. And so why didn't I run for mayor again? Got tired of eating bowls of shit. Right. I can, I get it. <laughs> I really do. I, I I see where that man is coming from. And then yeah. I think it's Carcetti who, because he's because Herc does the um he gets Herc gets the false tip from Marlo about uh, you know Bob's. Yeah, but okay, no. Well, the first time he gets a bad tip and he uh, he ends up jacking up the one woman coming off the train. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Trouble. He gets set up for that one, Marlo. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So all because of the camera. The second time around, he's fucked Bub so many times, and you know, and refuses to help him that Bub sets him up, and he right. ends up jacking up a minister. And they're like, "Could we please fire the halfway racist bald white cop <laughs> <laughs> with a thousand and one IED brutality complaints? Maybe." <laughs> right. And so, and I think that's what inspires Carcetti to be like, "Oh, good, it's my first bowl of shit." <laughs> right. Right. He's got a lot of it. Just like you said, he promised a lot of things to the uh, to the police. And, mm -hmm. you, you know, again, it's the numbers. The numbers come back to bite him in the ass. And he has to try and dig himself out of the deficit that the schools have. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot of that. You know, but, you, you know, you get great scene, by the way. It's just like, well, you can't you can't put this on the city council. It's not like we get the entire budget. You can't blame this. You can't blame the school district. This was merely an accounting issue. You can, and every and finally, like the chief of staff is just like, I, we get it. Nobody's at fault. Now yeah. what do we do? <laughs> I Let's been, move on and figure out how to fix it. I have been, I have absolutely been in a table full of adults, all pointing the finger at anyone but themselves and saying it's not my fault. Right. Right. Uh, we do get to see, you know, the end of our good buddy, uh, Preston Brodus Bro, Brody. Goes out like a soldier. Yep. Yeah, he does. Uh, that's kind of sad. That was that was that. My wife was like really upset when he, you know, we knew he was going to get shot. Actually, well, Poots lying to McNulty about that is like the most like poignant and brutal. He was like, he got killed for talking to you. So either cuff me yeah. or let me go. Yeah. But shut the fuck up. Yeah. You know? I don't and want it to happen like, to me. Right. If you, yeah. Do let go of me before you do me the way you did him. And you could just see McNulty's face fall off. Right. Yeah, he, he finally realizes, oh, shit, just because he got into a car with me, right. just because I was talking to him. You that... never. This is why you should always do the right thing. Like, you know, like Saint Spike Lee taught us. Mm -hmm. Always do the right thing, Jesse Starcher. Always. Because you never know who's watching and you think you have someone's trust. You don't. Yeah. Especially in the age of this shit right here. See this? Yeah. You know how easy it is <laughs> to betray somebody with one of these things? Mm-hmm. Right. It's easiest taking a screenshot. Yes, sir. So I'm trying to think of what else I have on my list. I mean, we've covered most of the main characters. Uh, we watched, you know, Michael. I did watch the first episode, like I said, of season five, and we're mm -hmm. going to see Michael. We're going to see. Um, uh, oh my goodness! All right, what what's his roommate again? My goodness, what is his name? Help me uh, out, Dookie or Duke? Uh, yeah, Dookie. Dookie's going to be, Dookie's going to be there. I, I, you know, as far as the first episode goes, we're at least going to continue a uh, continue that. And I, uh, but it was a good. I, I enjoyed the season. I'm glad I got the chance to finish it. There might be a reason to support me stopping back in 2020. Might mm -hmm. also support your argument for this not being the best season. Um. But I'm glad I got to finish it. Was it the 
it's a very depressing, very, very depressing season. By the way, the least amount of te- telephonic surveillance in any season of the show about <laughs> telephonic surveillance. All right. <laughs> gonna, uh, you know, as my son said, this movie had five minutes of, in three hours. This movie had five minutes of Black Panther in the Black Panther movie. This is the least amount of telephonic surveillance. <laughs> Killed the wire in like episode two or three. Right. And it never comes back. You understand what I'm trying to tell you, Jesse? Thirteen episodes of this motherfucking shit, and they I never get you. that wire back. I hear you. They'll be back up on the phone soon. Don't you worry. Lester Freeman's no. going to see to that. He will see yeah, to it. You see what happens with Lester and Oh five. no, no, you son of a bitch. Oh yes, oh. McNulty comes home. McNulty feels like it's a new day. You know, after everything that's happened, and after what happened with Bodie, he feels like once Lester comes back to the major case squad. They kind of re they, they kind of reunite the band. Jeff Jarrett shows up with a guitar. It's the, it's the whole deal. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, he says to Marlo, "Listen up, slap nuts." Um, <laughs> uh, McNulty shows back up, and it's like okay, and and we're we're geared now. They have twenty three some odd twenty some odd bodies in a gym. You know, by the way, they, well, there was one thing that kind of bothered me about the very end of the wire. So. Everybody is on board with solving these murders in the vacants. Everybody's on board with finding all the bodies in the vacants. This is a citywide thing. It makes national news. And Irv, who nearly lost his job, but he won't resign, no matter how much Carcetti begged. He won't resign, and Carcetti can't fire him because you can't fire the black chief of police when you're white, because them's the rules. Um, so he's trying to make Daniels. He's trying to make Daniels like as fast as possible. Uh, and, then, and then there's poor Rawls, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. But Irv, you know, trying to not have shit on him and try to last his last couple of years, um, does the right thing. And it's like, all right, Daniels, you're the you're the colonel. You're the you're, this is your this is your show. What do you need? There's a line right before he says that, and it's always bothered me, and it and it and it irked my nerves this last time around when I was watching it because like it was an obvious thing to me, and I don't know how the hell they didn't think to do this because later in fight season five this pays off but in a stupid way irv's irv says to burrell says to daniels what do you need anything you want we'll get it for you right before that they're like it's gonna be it's gonna be a year to sift rawls is the one that says it it's gonna take a year to sift through all this dirt because we don't have enough tech we don't have enough crime lab we don't have enough crime lab um personnel we don't have enough a big enough crime lab for this it's going to take forever to get through all of this evidence and see who did what. Daniel's like, I need more patrol to, to open more houses. And then I think he says something else. And then that's it. Why aren't you asking for the FBI's help here? <laughs> At the very least, ask for their lab resources. Farm some of this shit out. Like, why? <laughs> it was one of those where I don't feel like the writers even realized what they had done because the because when when asked what do you need the obvious answer should have been more la- more labs more lab techs right you'd think that there would be some pretty big eyes on right. this investigation considering how many twenty three right they and they have an established relationship with the FBI I mean I understand in, right. in every single season when this has come up they're like only political corruption and um, terrorism. And this doesn't qualify as either. However, that's how they made the case the second time around. Mm-hmm. Was they were like, "Oh, we got political corruption here," you know. And they and they, and I think in season five, you'll you'll find this out. Like they actually, 
those subpoenas that Lester sent out at the beginning of the season that got the major K squad um, essentially derailed. <laughs> derailed yeah. Um, is an investigation they're going to go into Clay Davis, yeah. which we'll find out more about next season. So I feel like there was a missed Shit. opportunity there. Shit. <laughs> well, we got a few of those this season. There's a, a lot of Clay Davis of this season. Yeah. Just like, oh, yeah, there was. Can contribute to some of my favorite charities, and I'll get you, you know, elected. Proceeds to show up right with Royce. <laughs> what a jerk! Uh, you know, swinging back uh, on to McNulty real quick. This is the happiest I think you'll ever see him, at least in the of all four seasons. Definitely the least drunk. The least drunk. The the happiest. He's a, he's a beat cop. Um, mm -hmm. He's with Beatty, and he's trying to make at least the right decisions when it comes to alcoholism and drinking. Mm -hmm. He's on the way. Did you see sir. the look on our dear, sweet, sweet friend? Um, what's the actress's name? Callie Thorne, baby. Oh, Callie Thorne. That mm. look she gave because she gave him no fucking flex the first uh. two seasons. He's <laughs> like, I'm going to change. He's like, you're going to sign divorce papers is what you're going to do. I'm going to change. You're going to give me more money is what you're going to do. All yep. that shit. Callie Thorne gave him no fucking flex. And then this season, he's with a new. It's always, it's always this way, okay. If, when when Melissa and I divorce, every problem that she has with me will be solved with the next woman I'm with, guaranteed. That's how this goes. That's how it the works. First, huh? The first wife always looks at the next wife and goes, "What the fuck? What is with your vagina that he now acts different? Why? Why?" <laughs> we learned that's why. Um, <laughs> and so he learned, right? He, he he learned, and so he's good with Beatty and Callie Thorne. Being a woman, can't fucking take it. Just can't what, handle it. Her words are like, "If I would have known, you would have grown up to be a grown to be up." Grown up. <laughs> <laughs> and he's making those strides, and it, you could he tell. Promised her he was going to stop fucking himself up. Do you remember that? He was like, "You know, like the the one night that they that hot sex scene on the folding chair." And like the next night, he's like reading the paper. He's like, "Let's have a family day." She's like, "Let's sign divorce papers." Yeah, how about you? Uh, get on out of here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you ever heard that phrase? Hit it and quit it. You, you're not doing the quit it part, is the yeah, issue. Yeah, it's time to quit it, sir. <laughs> it's time. To um, quit it. Yeah, so she 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 wouldn't believe him. You know, she'd been hurt too much. And then that look of jealousy, that look of like a done fucked up. Mm -hmm. Life's not so green on the greener, you know, Night's life's not as green as you think it's going to be on the other side of the fence. Mm -hmm. You know, how's right. Dennis doing? Eh, Dennis is Dennis. Dennis is Dennis. <laughs> we're on, we're off. Yes, I, <laughs> yep. Yes, indeed. All right, Jesse, final words here as we're at the hour mark on season four. Oh, right at the hour mark, too. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. yep. So, yeah, hey, you know, look, I think it's a solid chapter, just like you said. Five seasons of The Wire, according to you, are some of the best television out there. Let me uh, let me put it to you this way: There's a season of Oz that's the that's twice as long as any other season. Seasons four and seasons five of The Wire might as well have been that season of Oz. I think it's season okay. four because it really because season four and season five really are part one and part two of the same story. This is all the Marlo. This is all attack on the Marlo Stansfield crew, which is why it takes thirteen episodes just to find the fucking bodies, right? You know, and then it takes another 13 episodes to conclude the goddamn thing. Yeah. And I I'd mentioned earlier about how this is probably one of the most depressing shows. Uh, this season is uh, pretty depressing. There are some bright spots, but you have you no know, clue. 
None. Stan you, have, you have no idea how this is going to end. Oh, <laughs> when I tell no. you it broke Melissa, oh, you're going to no. come back. You're going to come back to me and you'll be like, "Oh, this is uh, this is corner depressing." Boy, oh boy, what am I'm, I in I'm for, man? Season five, the end of season five. So season five ends as every season does with a montage set to by the way this montage has got my favorite song of all of them walk on gilded splinters oh yeah yeah you've talked about that yeah yeah i love it so at the end of season five i won't tell you who but at the end of season five they as they're flashing through where are all the characters now this is now months later you know as, as they do a reprise of uh down in a hole um and they're showing you here's mcnulty here's Kima, here's bunk here's this person here's that person they're going to get to a particular character, and it's quite possibly the saddest thing you're ever going to see in the history of television. Oh, man. It is. You're going to it's going to hit you and you're going to suddenly end up in a space LP floating in space. <laughs> OK, <laughs> you're, just, you're not going to know what happened. You're like, ah, no! <laughs> like watch this. What the fuck are you talking about? Just go watch Superman. Too. Um, uh, we started. We started the season, so it's it, we'll have mm-hmm. her done here pretty soon. Mindy's pretty invested now, and I am too, obviously. But uh, man, oh man. Mc- well, McNulty serial killer. <sighs> anyway, this bunk. This is serial killer on the loose, and he must be stopped. I don't want any part of you anymore. That's bunk <laughs> saying that to McNulty. I want. Oh no my god. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy! With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jimmy. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is pretty depressing. Uh, there's not a lot of at, by the end of this, you know, you get to see uh, Naaman's doing all right for himself, but all of his friends are in pretty yep. rough shape. Uh, Mahler Stansfield is still he's running he's running the game plus he's probably making some moves uh in the co-op too mm-hmm. and so all the bad people are winning here mark and i'm not liking it oh yeah so, marlo gets to meet with the the incidental issue with omar robbing the um the shipment from the mm-hmm. greeks is it causes marlo to then have to meet the greeks that's right and if marlo has a connection to the greeks what do they need prop joe for all right he's trying to work around season five Big Slim. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. But, yeah, I mean, again, good television. Had a good time watching it. Uh, I will be looking forward to, I guess, trying not to hang myself after season five. <laughs> hey, look, for every depressing moment, there's a moment where where Chris is asking a, Baltimore, a, a New York drug dealer if he knows the name of a local rapper, and he does it. And he says the wrong name, and Snoop almost kills him. And Chris is like, no, 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 it's the other guy. It's the other guy. <laughs> uh, that's good stuff, right? I get there. on people for not knowing culture. There's a, like one of my bosses, every time I say a movie or something to her, she's like, I don't know what that is. It's like, Ugh, I'm on this earth by myself. Could you imagine being Snoop and have no clue what's going on in the earth? All you know is killing people. <laughs> that's all you knew. That's, 
That's it. You have no, you don't know music. You don't know movies. You were just in the street killing people. And that you, know you know nail guns. I tell you what, if you rolled up beside Snoop and started talking, started talking hardware, <laughs> you, you're going to have probably a good even, three hour conversation. On then, what she knew about the nail gun was how they used it previously and it broke. And that's why she needs a new one. <laughs> By the way, as bad, bad as this season is in comparison to the other four. You do have to give credit where credit's due. It's still the most one of the most brilliant shows ever written that the payoff to that cold open for season four of her buying a nail gun is that it's related to the disappearing of bodies in the vacants, which is the season finale. Yeah, right. Mwah. Kudos, 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 good stuff. Um, let's see if I know any more quotes that I can drop the N-bomb on. Uh, no, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You should write these down, Mark. You I should really should as I'm like watching the show, as I'm watching the show. So I think what we, I, you know, at the end when we get into season five next month, you know what? Hang on, keep going. But I, I got something for you. Ask now. Oh boy, season five. Uh, we'll have to do a comparison because uh, I was really depressed after watching the corner. Yeah. So I, you know, we'll have to see how season five compares uh, to the corner for me. And what we ought to do, if we can remember. We ought to bring up every single quote from all five seasons of The Wire that are displayed at the beginning. Yes. Uh, and like either rank them or just pick our top five. Pick our mm -hmm. top five of all of those quotes. And then we'll kind of uh, run through them uh, near at the end of season five, uh, our season five discussion there. So what are you looking for? You're looking for something. Okay. And I'm, I'm um, kind of scared. All right. Uh, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to send you this link. Let's you and me. We did this. We, we did this uh, last episode. Okay. This is our new game. We're going to do this. We're going to do We're going to keep doing this we're do it again. a little bit differently every time. I'm putting it in the private chat. Okay. I'm looking. Okay. It's in the private there chat. There it is. Yep. Okay. So follow me and then you pick up the line that I don't read. A couple of these are single lines. So, Okay. Yeah, oh, I was gonna say, uh, okay, All right. life, Jimmy. You know what that is? It's the shit that happens while you're waiting for moments that never come. Cool, Lester Smooth, uh, Senator, Senator Clay Davis. She, she, okay, bunk. I'm just a humble motherfucker with a big ass dick. You give yourself too much credit. Okay, then I ain't that humble. <laughs> You off? You seem awfully happy today. I got laid last night. Oh yeah, your asshole still hurt. <laughs> <laughs> on the game, yo. It's on, on the game. game. Oh boy, season one. Here we go. Hit it. What the fuck did I do? <laughs> Jimmy McNulty. Boy, them Greeks and those twisted ass names. Man, lay off the Greeks. They invented civilization. Yeah. Ass fucking too. <laughs> I can bunk. <laughs> I ain't no suit wearing businessman like you, you know. Just a gangster, I suppose. Oh boy, the fall between Barksdale and Stringer. Goodness. No name, huh? Well, for now, we'll just call you Boris. Boris. Why always Boris? <laughs> the game done changed. 
Game's the same, just got more fierce. Just got more fierce. Boy, Slim Charles can deliver a line, too. He certainly can. Jesus can. Christ. I see you favor a 45. At night, I do. And I keeps one in the chamber, in case you pondering. <laughs> see, again, Omar and his dialect. It's, yes. Uh, I love it. Happy now, bitch. <laughs> you get all three of these, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All those mopes and bracelets, and not one of them named Osama. Oh, <laughs> Boy, that has not aged well. <laughs> All right, Jesse, let me end this podcast by saying don't get captured. Don't get captured. And with that, folks, that is our wire season four review. Um, unless you got anything else. No, nah, man. I look forward to season five. We'll have a good discussion here in about a month. All right, tomorrow, unless she cancels on me, Michael Pollan's new documentary series on Netflix, How to Change Your Mind. Jesse, it's all about psychedelics and mental health. How do you, what do you Ooh. think about that? Want to talk about microdosing my... and stuff like that? Yeah, man. You want to come over to my place? We'll do some mushrooms. mushrooms. Do you deal with some of that depression? Let me tell you, I have heard plenty of stories, and I'm sure. Have you? That... <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm not speaking from experience, but uh, so what is it you guys are covering a documentary? Michael Pollan wrote an omnivore's dilemma. It was a New York Times bestseller, um, okay. and then he then he continued to write books, The Botany of Desire, which I think actually preceded that, but people knew about it after the fact. And then some of these books got turned into a documentary series on Netflix. One of them was Cooked. That okay. one we reviewed a few years ago, back in the Blog Talk Radio days, back in the old time time. Oh yeah, he's got a new documentary series based on the book he wrote about psychedelics and mental health called how to change your mind this is the documentary series which we're going to review i can't wait i, I can't wait to hear that then uh, i might want to watch that too i've heard a lot of a lot of discussion we'll just say about lsd there's a, psychedelics yeah, there, and there's a long story history of the positive uses for psychedelics in mental health treatment right right but because this government decided that all drugs were bad except for the drugs that they sanctioned right uh a lot of that was lost to history and it's now being picked back up again but ever so slowly cool so the the worm is turning slowly towards the good uses and the good uses for drugs and the harm reduction models but we're not all the way there yet because i think if you talk to the average person you know and this relates to the wire as well they're still mm, drugs are bad mm. really really jay <laughs> there's there's still Everything is a case-by-case -case scenario. Everything, I think you need to look at the details and maybe not paint everything with the widest brush possible. Right, right. Um, and then after that, uh, it's a week late and a dollar short, but we're going to do it anyway. I got another triple feature here. This is full metal. This is for Veterans Day, our annual show that Andrew Graham and I do for Veterans Day. We're going to look at Full Metal Jacket, The Outpost, and Hamburger Hill. Mm. Hey, Jesse, I've been asking everyone all week, remember? Do you remember when we used to have fun? On the Rattle Engine Broadcasting Network, Jesse, do you remember? It's been a while. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> it has been a while. Do you remember <laughs> when we dedicated an entire month to Alan Moore? I do remember that. Oh, my goodness. My back yeah. still hurts from picking up From Hell from the library. <laughs> yeah, that was a weapon, <laughs> not a book. Yeah. Um, you might want to like spread it out so you can wear it as armor if you're ever in the pokey. <laughs> I don't want, yeah, it's a, my shiv block, right? Yeah, so um, we, I, I 
re-aired one of them earlier this year when I was in the Dominican Republic uh, during the anniversary for V for Vendetta. Um, re-airing the rest of them this weekend because Alan Moore's birthday this Friday. Did you know that? Oh, I did not know that. No, that's that's yeah. great. I wish him a happy birthday. Actually, I want to send it from a fake account titled Firestorm. I was gonna say, can you please <laughs> title it "Fuck Firestorm"? Happy birthday, <laughs> dear, dear Alan Moore. Fuck Firestorm. Firestorm. Happy birthday. Source material. Um, <laughs> So, yes, Jesse and I and a bunch of other of our friends back in the old-timey times when we used to have fun uh, did what would be eventually become Comic Strip, but at the time we didn't give it a name. It was just Alan Moore Month. Right. And so we compared the book, The Watchmen, to the, com- to the uh, movie by Zack Snyder. And then we did League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, same thing, and then finally From Hell. And all of those are going to re-air this weekend. Awesome. This past couple of days, earlier today, me and Jason Teasley, The Protocol Son, we did our Grindhouse triple feature, which was Death Proof, Hobo with a Shotgun, and Planet Terror. Yesterday was a three-fucking-hour podcast on Black Panther, Jesse. Wow. I, yeah. you guys, did you guys eclipse the running time of the movie? Darn close. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, wow. We had a lot to talk about. It was a, it's a good show, but it was a, we had a lot to say about Someone it. Someone referenced Captain America's shield in that podcast, right? That You're had to damn happen. fucking right. Dude, we have traumatized Alexis and a lot of people on the network with that shit because it comes up a lot. <laughs> Great. People, people are just like, Captain America's shield. Um, <laughs> you, so I, was, I, I saw my girlfriend earlier today. We went out, I took her out for lunch during her lunch break from work. And um, and I, I was talking about the, the Black Panther thing, and I made a joke about how our our Captain America, every time, especially when we do Marvel movies, we bring up the Captain America shield thing because to me, an hour long discussion over who owns the fucking shield and who had the right to give it away or not is makes me laugh, but it makes Alexis want to walk into the woods to live deliberately. <laughs> so I shared that with my girlfriend, and she's like, "Wait." Who owns Captain America? Like Captain America oh. owns Captain America's shield, and I'm like, no. And I pulled out my whiteboard that they keep in my ass. Oh no! And I and I explained to her the whole conversation that we had. I'm like, look, when you're in the military, and the, and the military issues you a fucking M16, you don't get to take the M16 home. Last time I checked, you can't just give it to somebody. And she's like, I think it's rude that you're you're uh, firing back at me with facts. Uh. <laughs> it's not the first time I've heard someone say that to me, especially a woman. So. Oh, oh my. Oh my. <laughs> what? Oh my. You know, yeah, right? That's great. That is great <laughs> stuff right there. I'm glad at least it gets mentioned. I'm I'm happy. Yes. It is now uh, put this on the bingo card, Andrew. Yes. <laughs> Cap- referencing Captain America's shield. Anywho. Uh, so yeah, the three hour Black Panther one, slightly less than that was me and David Wright mostly talking about the critical drinker and finding some time to talk about rings of power. Hey, Jesse, you did some shit on Monday. You want to talk about it? I did indeed. Listen, 1992 hit. The Punisher went over into Europe, and he went on a European vacation of sorts. <laughs> uh, he he uh, ran into some trouble with the Kingpin and a contracted killer named Snakebite. And the seven-issue series titled Euro Hit hit Punisher comics at that point in time. Uh, so it was me, Dean, and Derry. Sat down, all three of us had a good time discussing all the fun that Frank Castle had over there across the pond. So check that out. That happened on Unspoken Issues this past Monday. I just listened to your show of, um, I think it was the X-Men and Star Trek, and you had some broad on. That was fun. That's how far back oh. I am, though. <laughs> well, I'm glad like you're catching summer. up there. That would be Dean's That would be Dean's significant other right there. Dean's girlfriend oh, that, came that's on. that's the broad? Yeah, okay. that, that, would, that would be the lady that came on to my show, Mark Radlich. 
that would okay. be her. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad she was a very educated broad. Tell Dana so high. This is why Jesse only records with me once a month because I get him in trouble. <laughs> um, you can tell me to go fuck myself. It's fine. Um, <laughs> and then over the week, over the previous weekend, we re-aired our Jason Bourne shows, the Daniel Hollywood for the two 2016 Jason Bourne, and then the Long Road to Ruin for the Bourne and the the Bourne Legacy, the Bourne Conundrum, the Bourne Pickle, the Bourne Again, all of it. Next week, Jesse is dropping a Garbage Pail Kids source material. I am, as a matter of fact. That's going to be fun. You guys tune in. Check it out. Uh, if you like Garbage Pail Kids, try to figure out how they to- turn that into a superhero concept in 2022. Alexis Haina is, I think, going to have Zachary Strobel on, and they're going to do the wonderful seasons of Mickey Mouse, because I ain't doing that shit no more. Um, Tuesday, I'm going to see Five Finger Death Punch. Uh, Wednesday, yeah. Oh my goodness. Wednesday, we're re-airing our Damn You Hollywood for the Moana uh, movie from a few years ago. And then in the evening time, we're going to be reviewing the menu. And then Thanksgiving Day. You know what I'm doing on Thanksgiving, Jesse? I know exactly what you're doing on Thanksgiving. Recording with you. But aside from that, you know what else I'm doing? (laughs) Tell me. My son thinks that uh, it's now a yearly tradition that we do an alternative commentary on Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. All right. That that sounds great. So I, I Googled a list of Thanksgiving movies to watch. And we made our choice. You want to know what our choice is? Uh, how in the world is this a Thanksgiving movie? <laughs> it's a holiday movie, apparently. Uh, Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Jonas watched the trailer for this, and it was like, this one. This is the one. We will take it So uh, he's not... Has he seen it before? No. Okay. But he's eight, and physical comedy is appealing. Oh, it's going to be good for him. He's going to love <laughs> yeah. it. He's yeah, gonna this love is, it. Look, last year was Ben fucking her. Okay, we watched two hours of that <laughs> oh, to get to the goddamn killing, to the killing of the horses. Uh, yeah, we lost a lot yeah, of good yeah. horses. That this is day. a little bit different than that. That's for sure. Oh, no, no, that was Easter earlier this year. That's what it was. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what we. Did. Oh, Thanksgiving last year. Fuck. Uh, oh, you know what it was? Me and him did a triple feature. That's what it was. We did all the them holiday movies. Uh, we did the Home Alone Disney Plus movie. We did that, um, the video game movie thing from HBO Max, and then something else. Okay. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Clifford. That's what it was. Clifford the Big Red Dog. The Big Red Dog. So, yeah, he was just like, I don't need to be doing review. I told him he should start his own podcast because he's brilliant. And he's like, when I'm 18, I'm fucking eight, you asshole. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Priority. Yep. All right. Anything, what else you got going on, Jesse? Oh, that's about it. I think uh, Evan and I are going to be recording some stuff here pretty soon, right after. We record our discussion on Thanksgiving about Slayer, S-L-E-I-G-H-E-R. Uh, Evan and I are going to be recording a future episode celebrating the life and times of Stanley Stanley by looking at a few of his comics uh, from back in the day. So that's that's way out in the agenda at some point, I think, in December. So other than that, that's it. I don't really have much else that's going on. All right, folks, next month, uh, as a matter of fact, December... December, December 29th. December 29th. Wow, uh, we got a long time to go. That's, that's yeah. Morning. Well, morning. we got we got December 1st is the crown, December 8th is the Whiskey Rebellion. Hey, guess what we're gonna do on the Whiskey Rebellion? Tell me. We're gonna talk about what it's like to be a man who's uh, in the polyamory community. <laughs> We've done this for a long time already. <laughs> we're gonna continue to talk about it. <laughs> Officially, yes. Because oh, when we talked this about it, it was official. unofficial. Okay, this is official now. I have look. You don't understand. You don't understand. 
<laughs> you need a fan there, Mark. You getting a little <laughs> catching the vapors there, sir. Go ahead. Men, Jesse, reach out to me. Okay. They ask me for my advice, for my wisdom over these past few months that I've gained. And so I want to share my wisdom through the podcast with these people. And so well, it's there. I, I don't blame you. So it's there for them to listen to at their leisure and go back to whenever they need a calm, assuring voice like myself to say, it's going to be okay. It's fine. Your wife is terrible. They're all terrible. <laughs> but I'm here for you. Mark is here. <laughs> oh, this will be a fun conversation. I can't wait to hear about it. Jeff can, so, you know, now that I know about it, it's going mm -hmm. to be on the agenda. I might yeah. as well just start getting my questions together. That's that's why I told you ahead of time, Mr. Cuties. Remember that? <laughs> oh, I do remember Remember that. the movie you refused to watch, but boy, did you have a lot of questions about it? <laughs> <laughs> Just watch the thing yourself. No, let me ask you questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, that's why, that's that's because Melissa asked, was like, how is the fuck is Jesse and Rob going to participate in this conversation with you and Jeff when they're not, you know, in the E&M poly community? And I'm like, You've apparently never done a podcast with Jesse before. That motherfucker's got questions. <laughs> I'll ask some questions. You ask him questions. Yeah, Robert will just make jokes. That's fine. That's what he's there for. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, we got the Risky Rebellion on the 8th. Uh, Jason and I are going to talk the Anaconda series on Long Road to Ruin. We got a boxing podcast. going to be me, Pat, and Gavin in theory. That's Diego Corrales versus Jose Luis Castillo. It's one of the five things in the world that Gavin still likes. And then here we are. December 29th, right before New Year's, baby. We're going to jam it in at the wire. Season five, the finale. Jimmy McNulty, serial killer. Oh, boy. Oh, you boy. Excited? What am I in for? My gosh. The most depressing finale in the history of television. Wow. You think right, the corner then. makes you cry. You ain't seen shit. If yet. that happens, I mean, wow. That is stepping up some game. Mm-hmm. Because the corner was rough. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna need a palate cleanser after that is generation kill yeah i i i, I have no idea what i'm in for there neither so. have i've never i've never seen generation kill i i last year our veterans day show was band of brothers and i'd never seen that either and that got rough at the end so all oh. right we for an hour podcast we've now done 22 minutes of bullshit so here we go be well be safe and in be more we aim to hit a nigga you heard okay.